A reading from Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And and I said, Here I am, send me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Romans. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The word of the Lord. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anybody be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? And very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, happy and holy Trinity Sunday to you. This is the one Sunday we get of the year to digest, mark, inwardly be informed by the doctrine of the Trinity. I trust we'll need it again next year. Um, so uh, there is an interesting liturgical idea I want to point out in our, our reading from Isaiah today. Um, and that is we might consider having a brazier of hot coals for confession. And uh, when you would like absolution, you can touch those to your lips. I, I, I don't expect we'll be doing that in the near future. I, I know why I said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I thought it would be somehow strange and funny, and it was neither. Um, so let's just talk about what we have ahead of us, which is uh, Trinity Sunday. Um, and, and you know, I think in general, we have this doctrine of the Trinity, which is sort of a neat idea, and it's got some cool triangular-shaped diagrams. But part of what is hard about Trinity Sunday is figuring out, frankly, what kind of reality it guides us into. I mean, how does the Trinity inform the way we're supposed to live instead of just being sort of neat, clunky, theological jargon? And I think, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to tell you three thoughts on that. <laughs> Very Trinitarian of me, maybe. Uh, the first is that we struggle with imagery. We know what fathers are. We have those. We know what sons are. We are or have or know those. Holy Spirits are difficult. Really difficult to image that entity of the Trinity. So um, perhaps you've heard uh, this new-ish idea. I mean, theologically, it's, it's relatively new to call the Trinity names according to job functions. That is the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer. Has anybody heard this language before? Creator, sustainer, redeemer. It's helpful, right? Because we have this understanding. Hey, I get an idea about creating and keeping things going and going back and fixing stuff that's broken, right? This is helpful. It turns out it's heretical <laughs> because uh, the Council of Nicaea, and we say the creed here at 325, decided that the Trinity is not to be described as modes of being. The fancy word for that is modalism. The doctrine of the Trinity is not there to help us understand God. To put this in education words, it's not a scaffolding that helps inform our schema. The Trinity is who God is, even if that confuses you. So we don't limit God to functions as if we were limited to being a priest or a teacher, or a mother, because of course our identity is bigger than those jobs we have. So one other image, and then the rest is about some other images as well. Back when I was in seminary, it's been a long time now, it's hard to believe, but um, I took this class that was really, really unique to the, the, the place I was. It was called Issues of Women in the Christian Tradition. And every week we read a monograph, usually about 350 pages. So we read, 350, uh, we read 15 monographs throughout this graduate course. Um, 
basically one from different countries around the world about, frankly, what it's like to be a Christian woman in these countries. And at the end of that, we had this option. We could write a paper, which was so safe for me, so I did that. And, or we could do a project. And somebody in the group did this project. She was a sculptor, it turned out. She had an MFA before going to um, seminary. And she was inspired, actually, to come up with a, with a really interesting sculpture of the Trinity. She designed a woman giving birth to a child with a midwife facilitating the birth. It's really quite interesting, isn't it, to think about. The Creator is always trying to make something new And there is the holy midwife facilitating God's new gifts to us. I didn't say that as a replacement, right? We know that God is not limited to any of our words, but wow, I was able to envision that, particularly because she made a picture of it. Imagine what God might be facilitating new in us today. A thought on that. The Doctrine of the Trinity came in 325 and ultimately had uh, the phrase that God is no more one than God is three. Of course, that's paradoxical by nature. Augustine, writing 70 to 100 years later, drew this diagram that's on the cover of your bulletin. Of course, what you don't see is the whole picture. What Augustine drew was three circles, not triangles, he drew three circles. A whole circle for God the Father, a whole circle for God the Son, and a whole circle for God the Holy Spirit. The place where all three circles intersect, you see it in the middle of this little triangle, is what we call the Godhead. These other little bits that come out here, you see, They don't represent the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They don't. This one represents what the Father and the Son have in common that the Spirit does not have in common with them. This one represents what the Spirit and the Son have in common that the Father does not have in common with them. Does that make sense what I'm telling you? What Augustine said is there are things the Father has that neither the Son or the Spirit has. There are things the Son has that neither the Spirit nor the Father has. And then where they all come together is the Godhead. Now, I know that's a little bit confusing, but I want you to focus on on these words that Augustine said. Somehow they hit me a new way this week. Augustine said, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. And you know, it occurred to me that I've spent most of my life thinking that God is actually just pretty similar the Spirit, the Son, the Father, really similar, like cheap Neapolitan ice cream. I mean really cheap. The 99-cent gallon. You know what I'm talking about? There are three colors in that container, (laughs) but they all taste the same, you know? Let's be honest. They just look slightly different. The the, the Trinity might actually be more like a high-grade Neapolitan ice cream, you know, with three very different flavors that somehow work. So what if the Spirit actually is really different from the Son? And I mean really different. What if the Father is not just a little different 
What if the Father's like really different? I mean, what if the Father is like a yellow dog Democrat and the Holy Spirit's a socialist and the Son's in the Tea Party? Oh, Mike, they could never get along. Ordinary can't get along. When we talk about God, we talk about extraordinary. What if the Father likes classical music like Brahms and Bach and Beethoven? What if the Holy Spirit's into gangster rap and the Son really likes steampunk and techno? What if you took whatever is hard for you and said one of the members of the Trinity is like that? It might be blasphemous. It also might be extraordinary to think that what is special about God is that God is not alienated by differences. And God doesn't believe that unity means uniformity. That God is extraordinary precisely because God is able to be united in difference. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do it. Which is why I'm pretty sure it's right. Because <laughs> usually things that are hard to do, that are wonderful, if they'd happen, are right. And I think that's probably why Jesus and Nicodemus have this confusion. I mean, Jesus essentially says, listen, it's not enough to define kinship by who you were born from. It's not enough to say, I've got Abraham as my common ancestor. So we've got this community of Jewish people, and everybody else does not belong. That's ordinary. It's not okay to say, we've got this Episcopal community. Y'all aren't in it. You weren't born into it. No, you've got to be born from above. Turns out that phrase you see uh, in Super Bowl uh, poster boards, when people hold that stuff up, you must be born again. In Greek, it could mean born again, or it could mean born from above. And essentially, if the Trinity's like that, and we're asked to be like that, friends, we've got to be born again. Because I don't know how to do that in my own family. Be united in difference. I know what uniformity looks like. I've wasted many years as a parent trying to make that happen. <laughs> my parents wasted a lot of years trying to make that happen to me. They still make that mistake sometimes. <laughs> it doesn't work for either one of us, right? So we grow to this point where we say, you know, wow, we really are different. And I was reading a book this week, and we'll, we'll read it in the month of June if you're interested and talk about it, by uh, Greg Boyle. It's really relevant to people like me who scored J on the Myers-Briggs test. I don't know if you know, J stands for judgment. And I usually say that my spiritual gift is criticism because I'm really good at judgment. And... Uh, Greg Boyle says, you know, some insight into how this might work is that instead of choosing to judge people, how people carry their burdens, is that we open ourselves to awe 
at the burdens they carry. Never thought about this before. Greg says the opposite of judgment is awe. Later, he says, we choose to have compassion for other people instead of choosing to blame them. I wonder if the Son has awe for how the Spirit is different. That would be extraordinary. I wonder if this isn't what Paul is asking us to consider this Trinity Sunday when he says, listen, if we just live this regular bodily way where kinship is about who your dad is and who lives in your house instead of who God's people are, that way of kinship leads to death. wonder if God isn't calling us to imagine this extraordinary reality, unity precisely in difference. Not just because it's neat, because when we live that out, we are living inside of who God is. It's not something God wants for us, it's who God is. This isn't just churchy stuff. This is stuff our world desperately, sorry, our neighborhood desperately needs. And I wonder if we could have the courage to wrestle with this idea enough and pursue it. So when God the Trinity says, who will go for us? Who will go for us? A Father, Son, and Holy Spirit unified in difference, we might have the courage to say, here I am, send me.